Well, I am very excited uh, about today. Uh, this is Arlene and Cliff, and you've just been introduced to them uh, and their foundation, Ryan's Rays. And thank you for sharing some of the backstory on that. Um, so incredible and so great for us to hear. Um, Arlene and Cliff are part of our family, if you haven't met them here at Westside, uh, and I've had the privilege of getting to know you guys a little bit over this last year, um, and uh, the first time we met, I remember hearing your story and uh, being so inspired by uh, what you're doing and uh, how you've just responded to some of these things happening in your life, and as we've sort of gone through this year, um, at the end of every year here at Westside, for those of you who are maybe a little bit newer, uh, we always like to partner with some people that we think are doing incredible things uh, to serve the needs in the world. World. And uh, our, our project this year, the Provision Project, uh, we're talking about seeing a need and meeting a need. When we see a need, we want to be able to step up and meet the need. And the more I learned about you guys and the way that you're stepping up and meeting needs really inspired me and some others on leadership. And so this year, uh, we thought, man, if you guys would be up for it, we would love to just partner with you, let people know about what you're doing and be a small part of what's going on. So thank you for being here today and sharing with us. Um, we just want to spend some time this morning getting to know more about uh, what you guys do, uh, and we'll get to this specific project uh, towards the end of today that, uh, that we're hoping to partner with you guys on. So uh, we've heard a bit about the backstory. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Ryan's Raises a Foundation does, some of the projects and partners that you guys work with? Because I think a lot of people will even recognize some of those. Sure, and uh, as the video alluded to, um, after Ryan passed in 2016, we wanted to do something in his memory, and at the time we were connected to an organization called Christian Horizons, and for those of you who are not familiar with Christian Horizons, they're a developmental services organization that works with um, people experiencing disabilities. And there was a need for an inclusive classroom in Asala, Ethiopia. And we thought that fit with kind of what we wanted to do with our experience with Ryan and the benefits of inclusive education. We thought that was a project we wanted to get behind and do something in his memory. And again, we thought it would be a kind of a one-time thing. Um, we held a fundraiser in 2017, our first fundraiser, and we raised funds to do this project. And we had the benefit of a family of going down later that year and just seeing the work and seeing what those funds that we had raised had done. And while we were there, it was just, it was amazing to see the impact that these funds had had on children with disabilities, not only for them, but for their family, for their community, the stories of hope, the stories of impact. And we just really felt coming back that this was something we needed to continue to do. So what began as a one-time project, um, we have been working on over the last five years. And so... You know, just a quick snapshot of what we've been doing over the last five years. We've continued our partnership with Christian Horizons Global, and in Ethiopia, we have built uh, and funded five inclusive classrooms there, and two accessible libraries. Now, in Ethiopia, libraries in many places around the world still, maybe not as much in Canada with the digital age, but their uh, libraries are are important to continue your education. So in the one school, we built a library so that they could continue past grade four, because it's a, it's a requirement to have a library in order to continue past grade four. And then uh, another school in Robe, Ethiopia, they had actually given up their library space in order to make room for four inclusive, class, inclusive education classrooms. And that was, um, that was really big for, for a community to kind of give up this space. And so we had the privilege of, of going back in another year and, and building 
a, a massive library in the middle of, at their kind of school, is kind of in a U-shape, and this library sits right in the middle of it, and it's fully accessible, and uh, while we were there, you know, a truck came up and was loaded with hundreds and hundreds of books, and, and again, for communities in Ethiopia, this is, it, this is their way of being able to do their tests and their exams, to continue their education, um, past grade school, past high school, and so, so we've had the privilege of, of being involved with that. Um, also in Ethiopia, we have um, one of the professors of Addis Ababa University, a professor of special needs education, had written a book to train teachers across Ethiopia. And with um, the inability and the lack of funds to actually publish this book, uh, we came alongside and published the first 2,000 copies so that they could be provided to teachers across Ethiopia for disability training. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it for Ethiopia. In Guatemala, um, we partner with Hope of Life International, and you'll hear a little bit more about that later on. In February of 2020, we opened up our first inclusive education classroom there, right before COVID pandemic and all of the schools shut down. Um, most recently, very recently, as in the last week, we have completed our project there for an inclusive preschool, which is four classrooms for children between the ages of two to six. So it'll be for about 40 to 60 children. Um, that is, it's done, it's just completed, and it will be, the school year in Guatemala opens in January. So that'll be the, the first full year will start in January. Hmm. Um, we've also done some local partnerships with Hamilton Health Sciences, McMaster Children's Hospital, and the Ron Joyce Children's Health Center for snoozel and carts, and which are sensory therapy. Uh, we've provided them for the Children's Development Rehab Program and for the Autism uh, Spectrums Disorder Program. Uh, we've also partnered with uh, Muskoka Woods Youth Foundation and their Exceptionality Program, where they bring children with disabilities into camp, and we've helped um, with some of the cost of one-on-one -on -one support and specialized training for the workers there. And that's a little bit of a snapshot of where we've been in the last five years. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's great to see um, the partnership with some local organizations, which are doing amazing things, as well as internationally, where we see uh, a whole host of needs. Um, and for you guys to, to find those people who are doing things that are really making an impact. Just so you all know, if you're looking for more information on some of those projects that have happened in the past, you can go to ryansraise.org, and there's a whole section on uh, your partners and your, your projects, uh, both present and past. So it's a great way if you're just thinking, hey, I want to know more about some of these things, uh, they can check that out. Uh, tell me a little bit about Hope of Life International. This is the group that uh, you're partnering with for your current project that we're raising funds for and the one that we want to uh, hopefully come alongside and help a little bit with. Uh, so tell us kind of how they got started and why you've picked them and you're doing things with them. Yeah, so, so first, let's start with Hope of Life International is located in the eastern part of Guatemala. And uh, in the eastern part of Guatemala, there's severe malnutrition. And it's a result of uh, adverse weather, uh, bad soil, and the global economic uh, turndown. Um, as a result, you know, Guatemala is the most undernourished country in Latin America and the fourth highest in the world today. Um, and as a result of that, one, of at, one of at, out of every two children under the age of five years old is malnourished. And when you go ahead and look at the rural communities, 80% of the rural communities live in poverty today. So in 2019, 
Arlene, Devin, and I had the opportunity as a family to go down to Guatemala and visit Hope of Life and experience life on their campus and participate in some builds, some child rescues, and all that's going on. And I gotta tell you, it was extremely impressive to see how they're actually reaching out into their communities, supporting the needy, and the heart that they have for those with disabilities. And you know, when you, when you experience that, you know, the very first question that comes to mind is how did this all begin? And the founder of Hope of Life International is a gentleman by the name of Carlos Vargas. Beautiful man, big heart. Uh, Carlos, uh, in his younger years, immigrated to the U.S. from Guatemala and actually ended up becoming a very successful entrepreneur and businessman. And around 1986, 1987, Carlos was uh, severely ill. Um, he became sick, did not know how much longer he had. So he had decided to go back to the small village in Guatemala where he was born and raised, and uh, with the expectation he would spend his final days there. Um, that's what he thought. When Carlos got there, as sick as he was, he was constantly approached by elders in the community who they themselves were sick and in need, asking him for help. And Carlos got to a point, by uh, seeing how much need was in Guatemala, um, he said, I, I need to make a promise to God. So he got down and, and he, he prayed and he said, God, if you heal me now, I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping the needy in Guatemala. That was 35 years ago, okay? That was 35 years ago. The ministry started on one acre patch of land at the bottom of a mountain. And there he went ahead and met the needs of, of elderly individuals who were either homeless, abandoned, abused, or desperate. Two years later, in 1989, they took in their first child rescue. They never looked back. Fast forward to today, Hope of Life International calls the mountain of 3,000 acres home. And it actually serves as the catalyst of uh, change for Guatemala as they go ahead and serve and support over 1,000 plus people each and every year. And just to bring context to the impact they've had in this area over the last 35 years, coming alongside churches, organizations, and other partners, they have built over 6,700 family homes. They've built over 500 churches and community centers, over 300 schools and education facilities. They have completed projects for clean water in over 500 locations across Guatemala. They have sponsored and facilitated sponsorship for over 7,000 children and adults. And they have rescued over 28,000 children from malnutrition, abuse, and other illnesses in kind. Today, they're reaching out and investing in over 200 different villages. And um, not just reaching out, but going into these communities, and in some areas, actually going ahead and developing sustainability plans, which is very important for them, both for the communities and for Hope of Life, to go ahead and, and drive revenue projects so that the future of Guatemala and those in need are supported for many, many years to come. And that's why hmm. we can't think of a better organization. We, we have not been, uh, we've been completely blessed partnering with them to date, and we look forward to the next partnership with the next project. 
Incredible. Yeah, it's so cool to see what they're doing and how you guys have partnered with them, and not just once, but to continue that partnership going. Um, Arlene, do you want to, Cliff's touched on it, there's, there's obviously a lot of needs in Guatemala. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, what those needs are, uh, what their experience is with people in need and, and hope of life and what they do, and, and tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, absolutely, and specifically I'll talk a little bit about the needs of um, persons and children with disabilities there. I think, you know, on a, on a global scale, just a few numbers, um, the World Bank estimates around 15% of the world um, experiences some form of disability. That's about 1 billion people. And um, approximately 80% of those people actually live in developing countries. And there's many reasons for that. Some of them are obvious, uh, malnutrition, lack of health care, lack of clean water, sanitation, um, traumatic births, disease, and so there's there's a real need, and often these um, these people are are kind of hidden. There's still some stigma around that. Uh, positive side is from kind of the world stage. It's starting to be recognized with numbers that large. Um, globally, people are realizing that unless we provide inclusive development, we're not going to hit any of our, you know, you, when you talk about the United Nations and their sustainable development goals, I think currently right now out of the 2030 sustainable development goals, there's seven that are specific to inclusion of persons with disabilities, six touch on um, the needs of vulnerable people, which also includes persons with disabilities. So from the world stage, you know, countries are signing up and realizing that inclusive development is a must if we're going to reach any of our development goals. And so that's the good news. And Guatemala is part of the United Nations, and so they have signed up for this as well. Uh, unfortunately, in reality, in many of these countries, what is, you know, I guess we could say legal, what the rights are of persons with disabilities from, um, you know, from, from laws and regulations isn't what the experience is on the ground. And many of these people are still hidden and they have no parts of Guatemala. There's care available, there's no transportation, they have, again, the right to go to school, but there are no inclusive classrooms, the teachers are not trained, they are not accessible. And so, you know, as, as Cliff was talking about the needs in Guatemala in general, the level and the rates of malnutrition, one out of every two children in Guatemala suffer from malnutrition under the age of five. 80% um, of the people living in the rural areas of Guatemala are at or below the poverty level. And so it is a struggle just for these families to meet the everyday, their everyday needs, the everyday needs of food, of clean water, of shelter. And then when you throw a higher prevalence of disability into that. Um, if you have a child with a disability, those stats just got a whole lot worse for you because now you have um, someone who's got to stay home as a caregiver, your child can't go to school, there's extra costs of medication, but in all reality, there's really no access to medication and they cannot afford it. And so that's kind of, you know, the background of what what Hope of Life is dealing with and where we're trying to come alongside them on the, you know, on the inclusive education and just the inclusion of, of persons with disabilities in general to, to try to help. Um, and there's hope. And, you know, children with disabilities and adults with disabilities has been a part of 
uh, Hope of Life's programming since the beginning. It's kind of even how they started. And so they provide medical care and clinics for children with disabilities, adults with disabilities. Um, and oftentimes, these, these children and these adults, unfortunately, they need long-term care that is not available. Uh, in times, they are abandoned. In other times, they are rescued because they are more vulnerable to exploitation and abuse. And so they have care facilities on their campus for short-term and long-term care of persons with disabilities, both children and, um, and adults. We're talking about hope today, and when we think of some of those needs um, that you've talked about and shared uh, that are so prevalent in this area, and um, man, when you hear some of these stories, what Hope of Life is doing really is, is providing hope, and uh, they see kids either come to them, or in some cases, they'll go out and uh, make sure that they find those, those children or, or people with needs and to let them know and to make sure that their families or villages know that they can come and get the care. Um, and it, it transforms their lives when they're given the basics of uh, nutrition and a place to stay, and, and their, whether there's their medical needs or other needs that are met. Um, this really is life-changing, transforming for people, uh, giving them hope and giving them uh, really a, a new life, which is really amazing to see. Uh, so you mentioned that this campus has kind of grown, I think 300 acres is what you said. 3,000 acres, um, and they've got uh, a whole bunch of different facilities there. Uh, let's talk now about, so what do we need to do now? What, what is the project we're working on, you're working on, um, and you're funding? Uh, and what I'm told is, as the funds come in, this is, it's not really like things are here. Like as funds come in, things are getting built. This is happening uh, in phases, and as, as the fund comes in, shovels are going in the ground, things are happening pretty soon. So tell us about the project now uh, that you're, you're working on funding. Yeah, so our, our current project is a, a care facility for children with disabilities on the Hope of Life campus. And it's, uh, we've broken it up into about six different phases. It's a, it's a $145,000 project. And, and yes, as the funds come in, uh, Hope of Life will build. And so we will build it in phases until it's, it's done. And um, there's a high priority on it because the need is just really great. They have a care facility for children with disabilities already called Kelly's House, and it serves about 50 children, but they are kind of, they're at capacity. And um, just a little bit of context as well, they also have a hospital on site where they treat children um, with malnutrition, and some of the beds in the hospital are also um, being taken up with children with disabilities. Um, not necessarily that they need hospital care, but they need they need care. And, and so over COVID, malnutrition has tripled. Mm -hmm. And there are more children that need help than they have beds for. And so that's both in their facilities for, for people with disabilities and also within the hospital to treat um, malnutrition. And so there's really kind of two projects going on right now. One is to expand the care facility for children with disabilities, and that's what we're working on. It, um, this expansion site will have two rooms, 15 additional beds, um, a nursing station, isolation quarters, a sensory stimulation room for therapy, a dining area. It's, it's, a, it's a full care center. And on the other hand, they are themselves um, expanding the hospital and raising money to expand the number of beds within the hospital. So between those two projects, they're hoping that they can, they can serve um, a lot more people within the communities 
around Guatemala that, uh, that need care. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Before we're finished, is there anything else you want to say before you go? I'm throwing that you don't have to. I just want to make sure you have a chance. I didn't tell you I was going to do that. Have we covered everything? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. We're good. I mean, thank you. I would thank like you. to say, you know, thank you for coming alongside us. In this. Let me, uh, before we wrap up, let me pray for, for you guys, for Ryan's raise and for this project. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who sees our needs and meets our needs. And we say our, we mean collectively, uh, that you love, you love the world that you created and the people in it. And when we see such heartbreaking needs uh, and we feel that, uh, we thank you that you see those needs. And it's our great privilege to be able to partner with what you're doing in the world um, to meet those needs just where we can. I want to thank you for uh, Arlene and for Cliff. I thank you for Ryan's life and the inspiration uh, that he is and has become to them and to so many. Uh, we thank you for the, the projects that have been completed. And even this last week, uh, an inclusive preschool that's opened up and we'll, we'll start taking kids even in the next uh, month, a little more than a month, and to uh, already see a difference there. For the other projects, uh, so many of them that have been completed. And now we're asking that you would provide... Uh, uh, for this care center, um, that the capacity would be increased to care for more people uh, through Hope of Life International in Guatemala, uh, that there would be people right now perhaps who are, are so in need, but their needs would be met, and that they would know that they are loved by you and by, by uh, people uh, who want to reflect that love to you. We pray that their physical needs would be met, medical needs would be met, and spiritual needs would be met. And we thank you um, that this is your kingdom breaking into the world, and that we get to be part of it and see it. And so we play a, a blessing now upon this project, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Can we give them a hand? Just some of the... Wow. Just some amazing things that they have been doing for a number of years. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I've just had a chance this year to get to know them and hear about that and just been inspired by what they're doing and excited for um, them just letting us to be a part of this. Um, and now it's our job to respond and our job uh, to ask as we see these needs, are we going to step up and meet them? And so part of our year-end uh, fundraising campaign called the Provision Project is we want to be able to bless them with $25,000. And I think that's going to go a long way. We're probably going to see uh, uh, foundations being built uh, in the next couple of months, few months, um, if we can. And if we can do that, and as they work really hard to continue to raise funds. So this is really exciting. When I was thinking about this project and some of the needs that have been described this morning, one, one uh, passage in Scripture really stood out to me. There's this passage in Acts chapter 3. So Jesus had been crucified and then resurrected and appeared to the disciples, and the church was forming. People were starting to gather in Jesus' name and uh, follow Jesus, the risen Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did. And that's what Jesus actually promised. He said to his followers, um, you've seen some of the things that I've done, some of these miraculous things, meeting people's needs and forgiving sins. Uh, and bringing in the kingdom of God. And he said, now you're going to do even greater things, which is hard to uh, imagine sometimes, but that's what Jesus promised. And so uh, his followers, his disciples, one day are at the temple. These are people who are Jewish, and they continue to be Jewish and to worship at their temple. And they came one, one day to the temple, and there was a man 
who could not walk, and he was in front of what they call the beautiful gate. And this man was known for being there. People would go to the temple, and they would see him, uh, and they had seen him for years. He had been not able to walk uh, for his entire life. And so probably his family would leave him at the beautiful gate, and the idea was as people went to worship, uh, they would give alms, or they would take some of their money and stuff, and they would give to those who are in need. But there's this this really stark contrast that you see in the story because what's going to happen is the disciples actually in Jesus' name, they heal this man and he gets up and he starts running and he runs into the temple. And it's a spectacular moment because he spent his entire moment, his entire life outside of the temple, lying there asking for money in front of the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate. I mean, it would have been a spectacular gate. Gold, silver, you know, fit for the temple. The place where we go worship God. The place where we're reminded that God forgives sins and welcomes us into his community. We're reminded that he loves us and we worship him and we are his people and we are his God. And the contrast is this, this beautiful temple, beautiful gate, literally called the beautiful gate. And here is this man who his entire life has not been able to walk. And there's a barrier. He's never been inside. Nobody's ever figured out a way to get him inside, to erase his barriers. Yes, hopefully people will give him some money, but they've never allowed him to get inside until in Jesus' name the disciples heal him. And he runs inside for the very first time. And people are shocked as they go, we recognize that guy. We've seen him our entire lives sitting out there asking people for money. When Jesus and then his disciples healed people, they got in trouble, which you might go, why would they get in trouble? You heal, so, you know, Jesus found somebody who was, uh, couldn't see and he gave them their sight. Why would be, somebody be upset? He would go to people with leprosy and he would heal them of their leprosy. He went to people uh, who couldn't walk and he, he gave them strength and, and health to walk and they got in trouble. You go, why do they get in trouble? And there's a number of reasons. Part of it is because uh, I think people realize, the governments realize that, man, if people follow Jesus and the things that he's talking about, we could have a revolt on our hands. They're going to follow Jesus more than they follow our system, more than they follow our government, that that could be extremely challenging, an overthrow of either the Roman government or uh, the religious system of Jesus' day. But I think as we see the contrast between the temple and between this man who had barriers, these are people that we would, in, today we would say, they're people living with disabilities, and nobody was doing anything. And I think part of what the threat is that they realized is that Jesus was doing what the temple should have done but couldn't do or wouldn't do. That the religious system that was built for this, was built to care for people, wasn't doing it. And Jesus did what they weren't doing. Jesus had compassion, but then turned it into action. And his followers then said, that's our job. Our job is to feel compassion, to see the needs, but then to turn it into action, to meet the needs. Now, I happen to believe that sometimes God still miraculously heals people in ways that we can't expect or, or even fathom, that, that people are prayed for and, and God just steps in and, and does something just miraculously on the spot. And that's what it looks like. And I think a lot of the times it looks like building a care center that provides opportunities for people to have their needs met, to know that they're cared for and loved. And so this is our opportunity. It's our opportunity to partner with some people who are doing some amazing things to see that happen. Um, Jesus, when he healed people, um, he wasn't just, he, it wasn't just kind of one-time things like, well, we'll heal this person and not somebody else. Um, 
part of the challenge, especially to his own community, religious community, uh, was that this is really, when we see these things happen, when we see needs being met, this is actually, if we're tuning into what the message of Scripture is, what we should always expect, it was what he said we should have expected to see in the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Uh, when we read about people who were blind and then all of a sudden they could see, or people who couldn't hear all of a sudden receiving hearing, or people who couldn't walk all of a sudden walking, this is not just arbitrary, Jesus picking certain things and, and doing miracles so that we can go, wow, that's really cool. It's actually uh, a sign that the, the Messiah and the expectations of God doing something spectacular through the Messiah is happening, that God, his kingdom is breaking into this world in a new and powerful way. Isaiah 35 says, and when he comes, the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. When those people who are living with barriers and disabilities, when those barriers are removed, we say, ah, Jesus has come, the, the Messiah has come, and God is at work. And our great privilege is to look for ways that that is happening. The kingdom is breaking into this world and to say, how can we be part of that? So uh, simply this, our provision project, uh, as we come to the end of the year, or the next month, we're raising funds. This is one project we want to be able to give $25,000 uh, to this specific project. Um, if you would like to give, just a reminder uh, that you can give uh, any Sunday in our lobby. There's a giving station, uh, cash, credit, debit, uh, check, all there or anytime online, and just use the giving type or designate to the provision project. We'll make sure it gets there. Uh, and I'm looking forward uh, in the new year to being able to celebrate. Celebrate uh, hitting this goal, hitting these goals, and celebrating what God is doing, and then over time seeing uh, what God does here in Guatemala. Uh, this is the other commitment I want to make. Um, we don't want to just kind of write a check in January. We want to uh, walk with this amazing family through this project. And so uh, we're not just going to forget about it after it gets started, but uh, we're going to follow it all the way through, um, through the fundraising, through the building. Um, we, uh, I think, uh, I'm hoping I get an opportunity to go, uh, hopefully pretty soon, and see what's happening there. Uh, we are looking into the possibility of us actually sending a team from Westside on a mission trip to go down and maybe be part of some of the building as that happens. And so what we're kicking off here is not just a one-time, fundraising opportunity. Uh, but for that to be the runway for us to follow this amazing project all the way through in the next uh, year or two, um, and to see something built and to see lives transformed. So would you join me as we pray about that right now and just ask God to spark generosity in our hearts uh, and a spirit of prayer as we support uh, uh, the Martyrs and this project. So Heavenly Father, um, We've seen the needs now, and I'm asking that you would help us in your power to meet the needs. I'm asking that you would help us to be a generous people, that you would help us to step up and um, to be sacrificial the way that you have been sacrificial to give us everything that we need. Um, we pray that there would be lives that would be continually transformed in Guatemala through this project. We pray for uh, the people of Hope uh, of Interna Hope of Life International, uh, now that you would continue to strengthen them and give them wisdom as they lead and as they build and as they create the programs necessary to meet these needs. And we look forward to celebrating, God, all that you're going to do in us and through us and for uh, these people to meet these needs. And as that happens, we will always give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.